You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning. That's a nice warm good morning. I'll do it one more time, though. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's always an honor and a privilege. My name is Angela Otero, and I'm one of the pastors here at Vineyard Augusta. I get the privilege of being pastor of discipleship and spiritual formation. And so I get to speak this morning. Um, We've been in a series um, since the new year started called Entrusted. And each week our pastors have been teaching about aspects of stewardship, that God entrusts gifts um, to us in our lives, and if we faithfully and creatively steward God's gifts, we get to see his goodness expand, the goodness of his kingdom come, and joy, um, his joy comes into our lives. And so far, we've been talking about stewarding our time, we've been talking about stewarding our relationships, and we've been talking about stewarding our finances, both our personal finances, but also the finances of the church. And so I get today to talk about something that is less tangible, a little less measurable. Um, We can't see it, can't touch it like we can our friends, like we can touch our friends and talk to our family about stewarding our relationships, and we can count the money that we have, or we should, because that's how we make wise choices and budget and plan. We can even use clocks and calendars to count and steward our time to keep track of it. But like I said, today we get to talk about a topic that's harder to quantify, but no less important. It's a gift that every single human being who has ever lived possesses, whether you're rich or poor, king or slave, female or male, you have exactly one of these, and in that we are all equal. Impossible to count, yet we can use it, we can abuse it, we can even bankrupt it, possibly without even noticing. What am I talking about? Does anyone know yet? We have been entrusted with our souls. God has entrusted you with a soul. He invites you to make mindful choices, to steward it for the benefit of your own life. So let's pray before we dive in. We do lots of praying around here, and I love that. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you here in this moment, in this time. Come, Holy Spirit, into this place. You are here, and we invite more of you. May your spirit speak to us like the psalmist says, as deep calls to deep. Allow us the grace to hear what you are speaking to our very own souls here this morning. Amen. 
So let's turn today in the Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 16, specifically focusing on verses 21 through 26. And this is what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to all his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I want to spend a little bit of time on that very last verse. The Passion Translation says it this way, For even if you were to gain all the wealth and the power of this world at the cost of your life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your soul? What can be more valuable to you than your soul? I used to kind of breeze over that passage in my younger years, and I just kind of assumed that meant, like, I could sell my soul to the devil and then I'd go to hell when I die. But I, I, and that's not wrong, but uh, I think there's way more to it than just that. And as I've gotten older and read that passage over again and thought about like, the soul as a gift from God that he's given me to steward, it's not a one-time decision, it's a lifetime. There can be this single act in our lives where we give our souls to the devil to get one thing or another, but I think that it's, for a lot of us, just a small, unconscious erosion over time, like choice by choice, until we've lost ourselves in life. And I don't, I don't want to forfeit my soul to anything, but life gets busy and things get tricky, and there are all the cares, like Jesus said to Peter, the cares, the human concerns that can steal us away a little bit, even not knowing it. So that leads me to two pretty simple questions for today. One, what is a soul? And two, if we have one, then how do we steward it as opposed to forfeiting it like Jesus warns about? So what do we mean when we talk about our souls? I think our um, common definition, kind of the working modern English way we talk about it is like our aspect, the aspect or essence of who we are. Maybe the um, individuality, the humanity of a person is their soul. 
not necessarily the personality, not necessarily the temperament, but maybe it involves some of that. Jesus uses the word suko. And it comes from the, the, the uh, it means like the word breath or the spirit, spirit breath. We see this in Genesis where God breathes on the human to give him life. Uh, it says God formed the man of dust, from dust in the ground. He forms this man, but he becomes man when God breathes, whoops, excuse me, when God breathes into his nostrils, the breath of life, and it says the man then became a living soul. So God uses his spirit breath to make us alive, human, and then we are given a spirit breath of our own, our souls. There's an American author, his name is Parker Palmer. He's an author, an educator, an activist. He um, also focuses on like, issues of education and community and spirituality and social change. And he has this book um, called A Hidden Wholeness. And in the book, he describes the soul, and I wanted to read it for you today. Because it's not how I ever would have thought to describe a soul. He says, the soul is like a wild animal. Tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. If we want to see a wild animal, the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, shouting for the creature to come out. But if we are willing to walk quietly into the woods and sit silently for an hour or two at the base of a tree, the creature we are waiting for may well emerge. And out of the corner of an eye, we will catch a glimpse of the precious wildness we seek. I think it's okay, wise even, for our souls to be shy. There are a lot of people out there who will crush a soul. Perhaps God in, our, in his design made it on purpose to where we don't wear our souls on our sleeves. But the trouble is in this world, as we grow up human, many of us don't grow up in a way where we are even properly introduced to our souls. And as we grow, we don't take time to know our souls. And then before we know it, we're adults and we're responsible for keeping a roof over our heads and feeding the family. And we don't have time to think about souls. When was the last time you sat and thought about your own soul, your own essence? your own individuality, your own humanity. When was the last time, like Parker Palmer says, you sat silently for an hour or two waiting for your shy soul to emerge? And when was the last time you maybe caught a glimpse of it in the corner of your eye? Our souls are the spirit of life, God-given, individual, and yet 
shy and easy to lose, hard to know. I think maybe for the younger set of us in this room, you could probably ask anyone over the age of 40, and they would probably tell you something like, it takes half a lifetime to even begin to know yourself. But that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. (laughs) Incidentally, that's why we have things like spiritual direction in our church. There's such helpful tools for this. And if you don't know um, me, I'm a trained spiritual director, of which we have several in our church. And the other day, we were at the dinner table, my family and me, and my 13-year-old son asked, so, Mom, is spiritual direction... It was like out of the blue. So, Mom, is spiritual direction like fancy therapy? And there were so many things about the phrasing of that that I wanted to like correct and explain. But I looked in his eyes and he was serious. And so I knew I had a window, a brief window. So I paused, but not too long, and then proceeded carefully. Uh, yes and no, because I'm trying to keep you know, him on the hook. It's similar to therapy, I guess, because it's one-on-one. It's private, it's professional, it's confidential. There's lots of the directee talking and sharing. There's lots of the director listening. Um, But it's different, and I still have them, so I keep going, and I'm probably talking faster with them because I really wanted them to hear it. Um, Because the person goes to therapy when there's something they may need help fixing. Help fixing maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, maybe uh, mentally. And my kids know that we're pro-therapy in our home. So they're like, okay. And I said, but it's different. Because a spiritual director never just assumes that there's anything that needs fixing. Instead, we operate under this assumption that God is at work in every single person's life all the time, and that God is reaching for our souls every moment of every day. And so in spiritual direction, we are simply sitting and listening to the directee as they talk, helping them identify God's current movement in their life so that they can join him in it. And yes, maybe sometimes things get fixed in the process. So I think I still have them on the hook, but I was talking way faster for that, like I said. And so my 10-year-old breaks in at this moment, and she goes, so it's like fancy God therapy. (laughs) And I sighed because the two of them nodded, and the case was closed. (laughs) But I tell you this, and I take the moment to talk about spiritual direction to, one, raise your awareness for what that tool can be for us. It is that, a tool. And yes, there are other wonderful tools. But what's so neat about that one is, one, we have an opportunity here to experience it. I don't know of any other church in the CSRA that offers as many spiritual direction, spiritual directors in the context that we do that has a ministry like this at all. I mean, like, this is special. 
And I can brag on it because I didn't start it or found it. I just got to join what was already going on here. It's really a blessing. And it's really, I'm proud of our church that we invest in this way, not just for ourselves and our souls, but for the souls of all the people in our area. Some of our spiritual directors actually meet with people across the world online. So I guess we get to reach the whole world in this way. Um, So if you've never taken the opportunity for spiritual direction, there are opportunities for that on Ash Wednesday. We're doing mini sessions. Um, Usually spiritual direction is an hour long, like therapy, I guess. Um, um, But we're doing mini sessions so that people can kind of, you can dip your toe in in a really easy, like simple way. And so you can sign up online and there'll be 20 minute sessions and we'll give you some, like maybe some conversation starters um, that you could use. But take an opportunity to do that, um, if you will. And if you're interested in knowing more about spiritual direction, you can go to vineyardaugusta.org slash spiritual direction, and it'll connect you with me, actually, and we can, we can talk. But back specifically to the soul. The soul is our spirit breath, our essence, our individuality, our humanity, It's hard to quantify, it's shy, it's easy to forfeit without knowing it. We talked a little bit about how to find ours. But once you're where you have it, the second question is, then how do I steward it? And Jesus said a really curious thing. It sounds really backwards and really upside down. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. How can I find my life by giving it up? How do I find myself by giving it up? My come to Jesus moment was actually very much that I was a young person, I was pretty depressed, pretty sad, pretty lonely, had experienced some rejection, Um, and I had been trying things my way. I wasn't bad per se, but I was just like, I'm not going to worry about what God thinks, I'm just going to try things my way. And it had not led to a happy place for me. I was empty, really empty. And one night, I was just totally alone in my bedroom, and I just had this moment, I can only describe it as like a Holy Spirit moment, where just like something like changed in my heart. And I thought, Jesus, if you can fix me, you can have me. You can, you can have all of me. And in that moment, I gave up my soul. I gave up myself into Jesus's hands. And miracle of miracles, I felt more alive and more myself than I had ever felt before. Somehow I gave myself up and found myself fully at the same time. Now, that was like 27 years ago, and from that moment on, I still have what Parker Palmer calls a wild soul, (laughs) and I still have to keep finding myself in Jesus. It wasn't a one-time thing. It's over and over, day by day, little by little, all the time, looking and listening and, and waiting. 
And I can still lose myself sometimes or lose track of myself sometimes. But he's always there to find me. So historically, the Christian church, like not just this church, but the church through time and history, um, has, and even before the Christian church, really, um, the Hebrews and the, Jew, the Jews, um, even before that, um, pre-cultures uh, before even them, have all tried to gain favor from our deity by following a list of rules and doing the right things. If we don't do this, 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 and this, and we do do this, this, and this, and this, and in exactly this order, then maybe, maybe we will be right with our God. And of course, this isn't the way that Jesus taught us to do but we're humans and that's kind of human nature. We want like, um, what is it? Left, right, left, right, up, down, you know, what's the Nintendo thing? We want the exact code that we've got to do in order to make the exact things work and it's just not that way. We are complicated beings. So I could give us this giant list of ways that you could steward your soul or should steward your soul, um, but you're individual and you're unique, and I don't think that those work. But I will offer maybe some biblical rules of thumb, uh, some helpful guidelines that can inform our choices. And so we'll kind of spend the rest of our time with that this morning. Remember what Jesus said to Peter Kind of harsh words, get behind me, Satan. That part I always have trouble with still to this day. Um, But I think that he was identifying a temptation from the devil, not necessarily Peter, that Peter was Satan. He was saying, ah, you're you're using words that are, the Satan, that's like a liar. He's a liar. And so Jesus was kind of naming that lie. Um, But he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Jesus was born. It had been prophesied that he was coming, this Messiah, this perfect king that was going to make everything right in all the world. And so now these disciples see him, and they believe that Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's coming. Remember what's going on in history right now. The cruel Roman government had their thumb on the Jewish people so hard and the world at this point. And Peter was thinking that Jesus was coming to break the power of Rome and fix the political establishment. And so he's thinking, practically speaking, how do we get Jesus in power? How do we fix all the rules and the laws that oppress people? You know, finally, our religion is going to be admired instead of suppressed. You know, all these really practical things, which frankly, like how many of us don't think about politics (laughs) going on right now? But he was thinking about totally, purely earthly things and earthly circumstances and how Jesus would fix the situations going on all around him. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, merely human concerns. 
And he doesn't say, so stop thinking about all human concerns and only think about the things of God. He just said that Peter had needed a redirection, a bit of a redirection, less on human things, more on God things. And so I would say this with us and stewarding our souls. First, if you've never given yourself and your life fully to Jesus, do it. He puts you back together. His ways protect us from further damage and brokenness. He's a safe bet. He's a good bet. But if you're not sure he's real, and I totally get that, and you're not sure he's good, and you're not sure that the promises that we claim he said are real, don't take my word for it. Ask him. If he's alive, and if he cares for you, then he can reveal himself to you. Nothing I say really matters. He can reveal himself to you. And it can begin with something so simple as, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know you. Would you show yourself to me? And then watch. And then wait. And watch and see if he does. And when he does, be brave. Don't dither around. Join him in the renewal of all things, including your very own soul. I'm tearing up, so that means I'm going to get sniffy, so could someone supply me with a tissue? Should have come equipped. So for those of us, thank you, Aaron. So for those of us who've already done that, and those of you who are considering doing that. Here are some other things that we can all consider together. And the first one is this. Doing does not produce a healthy soul. Doing does not produce a healthy soul. What do I mean by that? I mean you were created as a human being, not a human doing. God made you to be a being. And activism is the fruit. Activism is the fruit of a healthy soul. It comes out of you naturally when you have a strong and healthy soul. It just does. You don't almost even have to work at it. When I have been the most just healthy and centered and focused on Jesus in my life and taking time for sitting and waiting for my shy soul to emerge out of the forest, um, that's when I just find myself doing things in the world. Just almost less effort and more just, it comes out. It just comes out. So doing does not produce a healthy soul. And if you get it the other way around, you will eventually become disillusioned, burn out, hit a pretty hard wall. And you can recover from that, but it's really not fun. 
So doing does not produce a healthy soul. Second guideline, something to think about, is the phrase, eat this, not that. There we go. Have you seen those books, Eat This, Not That? So the premise of these books is that food is nourishment. Food is meant for nourishment, for our health. And so these, these help you like, make healthy, informed decisions uh, about your, your, um, what you choose to eat for your body's wellness. All the don'ts in the Bible are for our good. They are the eat this, not that for soul health. God does not need us to behave for him to be happy, healthy, strong, confident, whatever. He's infinite. He needs nothing from us, least of all us to behave. So that's not why, that's not the intention for anything that he says, don't do or do, do. It may be things as basic as the ones you've always heard, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. But it may also be things like abstain from murdery video games or limit your time lusting after the perfect homes on Pinterest or turn off TikTok and turn to your spouse and have that hard conversation that your soul needs to have. I don't know. Different things erode different souls differently when it comes to those more nuanced things, and that is where you have to pay attention to your own soul and your own choices, and to eat this, not that, for the sake of your soul health. The next one is consider confession and inner healing, another way that we can care for, mind, and steward our souls. Confession, inner healing from things we've done or things that have been done to us, sometimes through our own unhealthy choices or evil things that others do to us, our souls get damaged. Our souls can get lost. And confession in case you don't know, is the act of being open and being transparent with God or with another believer, a Jesus follower. Telling them what you've done or telling them what you feel stuck in right now and then asking for forgiveness and asking for help. People say it's a, it feels like a cleansing of the soul. Did the confession make God forgive you? No, the confession just helps your soul feel healthier, feel cleansed. And the other thing I mentioned was inner healing. And this is a specific type of prayer ministry um, where people revisit deep pain or times of trauma in their lives. Um, We have people in our church trained for this as well because it can be very intense and very delicate, but very powerful You can invite God into those places, and healing can come. Our souls can be deeply fractured, deeply fragmented, and there's really tremendous healing 
available in both of those areas. So if you've never tried that, but something in you is thinking about that now, um, I would really consider you to maybe bring that up, if come forward and receive prayer at the end, um, but, or, or find me, and I can help connect you with someone who can do that with you. And the last one is this. It's kind of a dual, a dual thing. I think it's two sides of the same coin. One, choose community, and two, choose contemplative practices. I've got seven S's for you. Here we go. Small groups is the way that we in this church do context of community. If you're not currently in a small group, find the group of people that feel safe for your shy soul and join them in community, in knowing each other, in growing with each other, in encouraging each other to make choices for your good soul health. The other thing, contemplative practices, are things like spiritual direction, things like taking time for silence, taking time for stillness, taking time for solitude, and taking Sabbath days. All of these things make space in our lives. It's the taking the space, that hour where we wait for the shy soul to emerge. It needs time. We have to give it if we want to care for it. I have a sneaking suspicion that every soul here is craving at least one of those things right now. And my invitation to you is just to pay attention. Pay attention. The good news is all these things are at your fingertips, and you can access them for the care of your own soul. Amen?